Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A great national hero, Vincenzo Nibali, cheered to the rafters, he can't believe it, and nor can the watching crowd. Forza Nibali! When the shark bites with his teeth, dear, scarlet billows start to spread through fancy gloves, though. I'm quoting Wikipedia, but I'm happy with that. I don't think it's the first time that... We, any of us, either of us, have quoted Wikipedia, right, on this it's, podcast? It's like an encyclopedia, but it's uh, a wiki, wiki thing. Do you know what wiki stands for? I've no idea, David. What I know is. I never knew that. Yeah. How did I not know that? Because no one ever really questions it, do they? What I wow. know is Wikipedia, so, yeah, Wikipedia. I literally never knew that. Mm. Um, in Greek mythology... Oh my god, did you hear that? Thunder, that's Greek mythology. What, I literally, I don't know if these, this microphone picked it up, but you heard it on the Zoom link. But yeah. the moment I said in Greek mythology, a massive, I mean, it just, you that couldn't make it up. You couldn't make it up. A massive clap of thunder. If, yeah. if it didn't pick up on the actual microphone, I'm tempted when I edit this to put in a kind of fake clap of thunder, right? Yeah. Because it was so it, that, apparent. You it heard happened. it. I yeah. will continue the sentence that I had just started when that happened. <laughs> In Greek mythology, the deadly monster Typhon was trapped under this mountain, Etna, by Zeus, the god of the sky and thunder and king of gods. <laughs> and that is when the thunderclap just happened. <coughs> I mean, that was amazing. that's just incredible. I'm actually, I mean, you know me, I'm... I'm I'm slightly freaked out because there is a deluge outside. Suddenly a storm has rolled in. We are on the slopes of Mount Etna here, the very, very low slopes. Mm. And everywhere around me, um, in, in the town that I'm in of uh, Mascali, the pavements and, and the rooftops are covered in volcanic ash. I saw your post on, on Twitter and I was it's, like, mm, that it's, doesn't feel like a safe place to be. Although it's, I guess it's just normal for them. I guess it's just normal for them. And yet, again, going back to what I know, what is it? What is Wikipedia? What I know what is. I, what I know is, Pedia. Listen to this. Satellite images reveal that Mount Etna has erupted so much in 2021 that, is, that it has grown about 100 feet or 30 meters in height in just six months time. And that the southeastern crater is now the tallest part of the volcano. That Oof. doesn't bode well. There seems a certain inevitability to that situation, doesn't there? <laughs> More. More. I mean, thunder. I mean, obviously that the thunder's coming from the sky. Um, that's not the Etna doing it. But oh, like, oh, you think? You don't think it's all interconnected somehow? Oh, you think? Yeah, I see what you mean. I, I can see well, I mean, that there's. Yeah, no, they were, the, the ancient Greeks weren't stupid, were they? They were onto something where they understood. Yeah, they certainly weren't you know, stupid. The, I think most of modern society is that can, we can thank to the the late Greeks 
or the exactly. early Greeks. There were the late Greeks by that point. But yeah. Um, yeah. What's, the I, I, between early, what's the difference between early Greeks and late Greeks? Well, relative to modern, to modern Greeks, they'd be early Greeks, but to the Greeks that, that most of modern society is based upon, they, they're quite late Greeks. Early, yeah, of the original Greeks. Different anyway. types of Greeks. That's what you're saying. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> At different times, there were different Greeks. <laughs> At different times, there were different Greeks. But isn't Italy mostly because the Western Europe and the kind of the most of modern society is in the Western world is based off um, what we often consider the the late kind of Italian latin world i I love the fact this is the sentence has slowed i mean i know what's going to happen because you've slowed your sentence down to an incredibly low cadence you're grinding a big gear and grinding and i'm thinking but doesn't it all come from the greeks and then from the greeks it comes from the east oh what what mesopotamia mesopotamia yeah abyssinia samarkand the the, the, guard, the cradle the of mankind, the kind of yeah, you're yeah, going oh, yeah. deeper and deeper east. So actually, modern Western culture and society comes from the east, the Tigris was, and the Euphrates, and Greece like actually bridged it. And then it's but we always associate most of it with the Romans and the Italians and then the Crusades, etc. But actually, all of it is based off Greece, and most of their culture and education came from the further, even further east. So actually, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants from the east. Quite correct. Or even Africa, right? I mean... As well. So when I went to cover the World Cup in 2010 in Johannesburg, I mean, you know, just north of Johannesburg, there's the cradle of mankind. Oh, that's... Uh, so... Yeah. Whoa. Ethiopia, etc. How did that all begin? Oh, yeah, because I'm at, I'm at Etna. Yeah, well, I'm and there's, a, the, there's the, a, risk, a risk of death. At any moment, there's a slight there's, 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 there's the chance that you could be pompeyed and be found two thousand years from now with a microphone in your hand, <laughs> and people will be, well, "What on earth was this person doing?" But people will say that's the way he wanted to go. <laughs> that's the way he would have liked to go. Podcasting when a kind of a small boulder of molten lava pierced the ceiling above him in the hotel room. He just moved, just came cascading through, past, past, past through his skull at some velocity, hit the keyboard of his um, laptop, <laughs> th- there, uh, thereby instantly ceasing the podcast and leaving it hanging. Uh, you know, uh, but what for, you all, do- for all eternity, we wouldn't have known how yeah. the podcast might have ended. A bit like you and me right now don't know how this podcast well, is as all the, end. As all the molten lava slides down the mountain, destroys all the, the, the mobile towers, and as yep. all systems go electricity yep. drops out you'd yep. have to make the decision do you run or do you actually jump in the be, car once well that's just end of days traffic jams and then you just be oh, one true, of a yeah. thousand others yeah or do you matt just, stevens matt stevens has a chapter three brompton david with him yeah oh, and i know yeah. he's in he's in room 106. he's safe he's safe no 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 but i could if i had prior <laughs> knowledge i could run around to room 106 kick the door down yeah. punch him in the face he wouldn't even know it was happening right Done. Grab yeah. his grab his Brompton exit plan. and off I go. So that's a head start, isn't it? Head for the coast. Chapter three, Brompton. That's your that's the only chance of survival if it happens, okay. and you you just have to sacrifice Matt. But if you can't get it, then you just go into fetal position, hold your microphone, and then at least people will know two thousand years from now that you you were trying to leave a sign. I did exist. Every, pod, every podcast that we do should come with a kind of a safety instruction. You know, if, if if at any point we say during the podcast, brace, 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 you assume the fetal position, carry on listening. <laughs> just uh, oh, What else God. is going on? What else has been going on in Sicilia? Well, I'm just going through. I, I, I sent you a little agenda, didn't I? Mm, I'm going to look at that right now. Yeah, well, I mean, talking about Mantetna and volcanic ash, you know, and, and and you know, straying back from the realms of fantasy, that very unlikely event of me having to escape a, 
a kind of massive explosion on a on a folding bicycle <laughs> having punched my co-commentator in the face i mean all that might happen but it's unlikely mm. um going back into the realms of fact david where the race finished today in mascali the the, the final stage of this beautiful four-day stage race and i'll come on to talk about that i promise um mascali itself which is a sizable little town was completely destroyed in 1928 when um, for the umpteenth time Etna erupted and big time erupted and a lava flow just, you know, inescapably kind of like came down the mountain, took the, ta- took the town out. I don't think anyone died because, you know, you get a bit of prior warning with a slow moving lava flow, but you can't stop it. And it, it took Mascali out and um, they, they simply rebuilt it from scratch. Why? So why? My first question is why? Why did they rebuild it? Yeah. It was where people lived. They felt at okay. home there. They, so, well, if it happens regularly, why would you keep... Well, I don't know how regular... I mean, it certainly happened in 1928. It hasn't happened since 1928. And okay. I don't know whether it no, happened before 1928. Yeah, good. So it happened yeah. once. Um, but they rebuilt the cathedral, uh, oh, which wow. was only... It's a 19th century cathedral in the first place, so it wasn't that old. didn't matter that much. But it got, um, you know... And they rebuilt it in a... What I can only describe, to be perfectly honest, as a... You know, we were talking about Sicilian Baroque. Yes, we were, yeah. Um, the other day, it's a kind of a poor man's attempt at Sicilian Baroque built in the 1930s. So rather than doing anything deeply modern, and let's face it, the interwar years were full mm. of pioneering architects and the, mm. the Bauhaus movement was live in other you know, mm-hmm. northern climes of Europe. They could have done something dramatic, you know. Um, instead, they just decided to vaguely copy um, what presumably had been there before with a, a, a bit of a dome and everything. Um, and... It, it, it stands there, but it dominates the, the middle of this this little town, Mascali. And um, when we arrived there this morning um, and the stage finished, was due to finish uh, right in the middle of this town, outside on the Piazza Duomo. And um, when we arrived there this morning, I noticed, funnily enough, I noticed um, just as I was parking our car up, I noticed that there was a wedding... Um, kind of ceremony office, you know, or, or, or mm-hmm. the little premises of a some wedding organisers. And I just caught my eye that there were a few people hanging around and clearly a wedding photographer was there and a beautiful vintage Palermo number-plated roll, white Rolls-Royce with ribbons tied on the front. And I kind of thought, I thought, right, someone's getting married somewhere. And then I pulled up, went to the Piazza Duomo, and I saw that the steps leading down to, you know, the steps leading down to the square from the, the front entrance of the, of the Duomo were, were carpeted with white carpet mm-hmm. and that there were flowers all the way up. And I thought, hang on, this is quite a big wedding. But the wedding was completely surrounded by the Giro di Sicilia and the barrier guys were putting out the barriers and the, the PA system. They put up the podium, they put up the finish arch, they put the zone technique right next to the Duomo, ruining everybody's shots for the day. And the PA boys were just firing up the system and getting it all cranked up. When a big crowd had started to gather for this big society wedding in Mascali, and um, and uh, the bride kind of arrived um, in, in, into into Mascali, and um, she was piped in eventually in this white Rolls Royce, the most extravagant and beautiful wedding dress. She was um, escorted up the steps by. I, what I can only assume, the man I can only assume is Signor Di Vincenzo, her father, who had a, he's a man in perhaps of my age, a little bit older, um, I like to think he's a little bit older, um, <laughs> with grey silver fox hair tied back in Italian style in a little cheeky ponytail, a little bit of hair oil knocking around in his ensemble. Cared about his he appearance. Op- he, op- he, op- he opened the door of the white Rolls Royce and he... Um, he took the hand of his daughter and guided her down. Mm. Her bridesmaids picked up the what do you call the the, the plumage, the thing that the, flows um, out of the back of the of the bridal dress, oh, the, va- the veil, the no, train. No, the veil comes the, the train. Well done. Is yeah, it the bridal train. train. Yeah, bridal train. Cosme. Yeah. It was yeah. like um, it was proper. You know, it was like yeah. it was the kind of thing where, if you imagine the kind of information that Chris Boardman used to look mm. at in in wind tunnels you know of kind of wind it was um like funneling um, out it was fluid dynamics vortex. fluid dynamics it was fluid dynamics kind of coming kind of after her yeah. and she was like very much at the front of this and she walked up the steps and by this time did she have smaller did she have smaller humans to help with the dress 
the train. Yeah, lots of smaller humans who were dressed in sort of like baby pink. Mm. And they were all like in a flurry of excitement. It was honestly, that was beautiful. And all oh, the town had turned lovely. out to... And they were clapping her up. And what was lovely was that the, the guys who, uh, you know, kind of managed the whole sound system and everything would work the traveling thing of the this is just a traveling coincidence mm. that they turned up at the same time but they they cranked up the loudspeakers by then and they piped her in at blaring volume to uh, an organ rendition of here comes the bride as she went up the <laughs> steps um on her way she would not have expected that you know on her wedding day she gets out of the car and there's this, this bicycle race that is just set up all around her and pipes her in with here comes the bride it was absolutely oh, fantastic that's it so was, uh, good you know no, it was a great moment i'm a bit soppy about things like that i don't know if you are but i just i, I am was, I yeah I, I love weddings I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of them but that that honestly that just and this is very rarely do I get to tell this story, a white Rolls Royce story. Um, Ooh, and this cool. comes from an old family friend uh, from many years ago, uh, Martin Growak. Um, one of those really annoying people, one of my mum's friends, he speaks seven, eight languages. Rob went to school in Gestad and these different things. But in Gestad, um, it was the time when David Niven was a little bit older. And so this is... He was always... David Niven was always a little bit, bit older, bit older. Right? Wasn't he? He was always a little bit older. So we're talking <laughs> yeah. 40, 40 we're Talking 50. about the ancient Greeks and everything. Yeah, they they exactly. used to refer to David Niven as being just a little bit older. <laughs> this is 40, 50 years ago or whenever yeah. it was, because <clears throat> he was quite young at the time and he was there. And so this story kind of resonated around Gustad. Um, the one time David Niven was driving down from his chalet and... Uh, down the windy mountain road, and, and as he did, well-dressed, going down to visit everyone, probably a little bit tipsy, just going down to, to socialise. And yep. a, a truck was coming up the other way, and on one of the switchbacks, um, the truck clipped him, and they kind of got Ooh. stuck. And he got out of the car, and he just walked around very politely, very calm, and the driver got out, and he just said, Mon ami, have you... <laughs> any idea what you've just done <laughs> and it's just i've always loved that ever since mon ami avez-vous any idea any idea just give it up that's it that's the yeah, limit of his french but it doesn't matter because i'm david niven i'm going to talk to you niven uh, god yeah that's just the british you would have loved to have been david niven wouldn't you in another life you would have had uh, to. i don't had a joy the moon is a balloon it's a very good book yeah did yeah. am i right in thinking that david niven had a relationship with Marlena Dietrich. Uh, likely. I think many men did. Well, yeah. and, and David Niven had relationships with many women as well. It's not no, no, exactly. Kind of, no, that's what I mean. Street. I think it was just, yeah, it was a two-way street. But yeah. I think Marlene Dietrich mm. was uh, a very aspira- aspirational woman and she just, just or, or probably just took the mickey out of men. I, I wouldn't doubt it for a second that David Niven and Marlene Dietrich were very good friends. Although Marlena Dietrich was desperately in love with that American general, wasn't she, who yeah. made it to Berlin first, the general of one of the armies that, yeah, there was that kind of, uh. and, and he in turn was was playing her off with Ernest Hemingway's former wife. Ah, oh, what's her name? The journalist, the American journalist. Mm, oh. We are literally, even we can't keep up with our content here. Yeah, but, this is but, why it's but, so good I for our listeners because no, there's going to be people out there who will be jumping on these every time. David, that's the same. It's the same thing every time. Yeah, there are people saying, "I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm looking up Ernest Hemingway's." This um, is Wikipedia page here kind of, because I because I have to tell you uh, what her name was. And you uh, had, so, who, but I'm, I'm still stuck on the the American general because um, we had who was I'll the get British it. I'll get with, it. The, with the beret and. Hadley, oh, oh no, 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 Hadley was his first super wife. Super annoying. It's, yeah, uh, this could be quite bad podcasting. Well, quite bad podcasting. It already is quite bad. I've got quite to Spanish place. War, Cuba, World War II. Um, uh, Martha, Martha, Martha Gerling, of course. Martha Gerling. That, hmm. that, was, um, that was Ernest Hemingway's uh, wife at the time. <laughs> uh, I was slightly hesitant here. Anyway, but, 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 but he was, uh, but yeah, no, no, sorry. Hemingway had left Martha Girling, is that her name? And um, and and this America. Oh Christ, I'd give up. Uh, someone will know. Someone, someone can tell there me. Go. Um, um, so going. But down, anyway, let's 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 rewind. So the wedding was great. That was a great we, story. Um, no, it wasn't a great story. It it fell apart. I, I 
I wanted it to be a great story. Oh, no, sorry, yours was a great story. Absolutely. The David Niven one was, was fantastic. One of me. One of me. Yeah. Have you any idea? Any idea? Oh, talking about catchphrases, because that could have been a catchphrase, couldn't it? One of me. Have you any idea? That could <laughs> be. Like Adam Blythe could yeah. use that. I would love that. I, I would love to just get to the point, probably not far off now as I'm. As I'm aging, is to get to the point to be in France and just be able to say, Mon ami, avez-vous any idea what you've just done? It's just kind of, it's just like, I don't really care, but do you have any idea? It's just, Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, that's, that's. You little man, you do not know the consequences, do you? You don't know, can't begin to understand. Um, uh, so anyway. Oh, yeah. Christ. Uh, how um, do we get back? How do we get back? Rewind, rewind. Um, Sicilia. And it's so what's your, how is, how has your four days? No, I know, I know, I know, no, I know what I wanted to say. I know what oh. I wanted to say. I know what I wanted to say because, yeah, I was talking about catchphrases just now. So, you know, um, the, 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 have you any idea? And we, well, and I mean, it, puts, it, idea. <laughs> it puts me in mind, it puts me in mind of, I got, a, <laughs> I got a WhatsApp message from the captain the other day. Oh, good. Just about two days ago. Let me find it. It's quite funny. I'll read it out for a bit. I don't want to misquote him because it's quite important I say exactly what it is that he said to me, actually. Scrolling down, Chris. Adam Blythe, here we go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Why don't you change into the captain? I have him as Captain Blythe on my phone. Oh, do you? Maybe I, maybe I need to do that. Maybe yeah. I need to do that. Um, and it suddenly came out of the blue and it said, the amount of messages and tweets I get saying, damn your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and I was reminded of the fact that we only, um, well, you're trying to show me something, I can't quite no, see it. No, no you but, can't um, see it. It's basically me yeah. showing, in, in my contacts, he's Captain Blythe. He's Captain Blythe. Well, <laughs> I'm going to change yeah. So, as far as I was concerned, I was only really alerted to the whole um, Captain Blythe thing and the whole mutiny mm. on the bounty thing mm. and the whole beautiful Anthony Hopkins kind of thing from, from which that comes, doesn't mm. it? Da- you know, Anthony yeah. Hopkins looking at mm. Daniel Day-Lewis, mm. damn your eyes, you turn your back on me and all that sort of thing. Damn your eyes! But, but the... Damn your eyes. But the only reason I know that, actually, thinking about it, is because of our American listener. Do you remember that? I think Yeah, he was from the Bronx. From the Bronx. Yeah. Right? What's his name? Adam Adam Shoup was his name. Wonderful. Uh, I love listening to people who talk from the Bronx and all that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Adam Shoup has been um, listening on, and he sent us an audio contribution to (laughs) H-I-W-T-Y-J at gmail.com. Oh, by the way, I've shared that. I've shared the email address and the password with you now, haven't I? Yeah, I know. So you know brilliant. you've got access to, to so, so the email. You sent it to me. You sent me the the, the, the email password. address and the, the password. password. I'm not going to say what they. I'm not going to say what they are. But I okay, looked at right. it and I said, Ned, wouldn't it be much better if we had the password as which the is slightly email simpler, yeah. and the email as the password? It's like you created this absolutely impossible email yep. and a very simple password. I know. That no one will get, but yeah. 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 Um, anyway, um, Adam Shoup has sent us, having listened to the stories of uh, the Falcone assassination, etc., um, uh, uh, he wanted to share a really interesting like, kind of tip, really, about some some beautiful photographs that document life in Sicily. And he's got a link to it, to, uh, which we can post on our show notes, actually. I, I will do that if I remember. Um, and uh, also, there's a little bit of cycling in this audio contribution. Hello, David and Ned. hope it's not too soon to be phoning in again, but wanted to let you know that the Sicilian history you started to delve into brought me back to my first and only trip to Italy a few years ago when I caught an exhibition by the renowned Sicilian photographer Letizia Vitaglio. This was also a trip in which I rode up Pantani's hometown terrain of Monte Carpegna and bonked after its 22 hairpin turns to the summit of over 1,300 meters descending primarily by ambulance, but that's a story for another day. Battaglia's iconic images were captured during what Italians call the Anidi Piembo, the years of flying lead. Uh, these were the 18 years in which the Corleonese mafia clan would claim the lives of governors, senior policemen, entire mafia families, and ultimately two of Battaglia's dearest friends, the anti-mafia judge you mentioned, Giovanni Falcone, and Paolo Borsellino, um, quoting from a retrospective from The Guardian. I think that her work is a must-see to understanding Sicily's history, and I realize a visual recommendation is not particularly helpful for a podcast, but perhaps this will spark something for the roadbook. Uh, last time I recorded from my home in the Bronx, but if 
you can hear crickets chirping, it's because I'm in a tent in Statsburg, New York. This is day three of a solo self-supported bikepacking and camping trip along New York State's Empire Trail, in which I am endeavoring 500 miles in 12 days from New York City north to Albany, and then west across the Erie Canal to Buffalo, returning by train. So, Never Strays for Fally is helping keep me in good spirits. Thanks to you and David. Regards. Thanks, Adam. Anyway, Thanks, that's how Adam. sometimes this podcast is put together. Yeah. Not sometimes, but, kind of always, actually. <clears throat> so there we go. But talking about nicknames and how nicknames um, become, um, uh, Alistair McGill, who works, uh, works I with I met us. him the other day, didn't you, I, you in, met, um, in Girona? Alistair. Yeah. Alistair's yeah. lovely, and he's a, mm-hmm. a brilliant um, money person. And <laughs> Money person. Well, he understands like in the, the best numbers. Sense, you know, he doesn't, doesn't no, make he's money. A, he's he our, says, he's, a, he's, he's our, an accountant. He's an accountant and he's our CFO at Chapter Fine. 3, but he also oh, runs a brilliant um, uh, accounting company in Scotland and looks after many people, taking Chapter 3 under his wing personally. <clears throat> but the kids, when they met him in Scotland, decided that he was Alistair Moody. And oh. this is, is going to annoy you because it's Harry Potter. But, yeah, uh, I, I, I said, oh, uh, as if I, I don't know no, who don't. Alistair Moody is. So now, and this is where Nicole's got really good as well. She's just calls him Moody now. And okay. so the kids call him Moody and so we just call him, call him Moody. And now Who's Alistair like, Moody in Harry Potter? Who's I presume uh, it's a Harry Potter <clears throat> character, right? There's a teacher that comes in, a, a professor of the dark arts, who yep. um, actually a real kind of uh, twisted but good. Anyway, interesting. But no, no, don't, 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 no, don't, don't, don't dismiss it. I'd like to know a little bit more detail about about you know what why why he's in, is he a good character do we like him or is Alistair he just, Moody no we yeah. no we love Alistair Moody because okay, um, he is he's gone through the back roots the dark arts he was there at the at the coal face dealing with all the bad stuff and all the bad people it's all but on the side of good so he's learned the, the dark arts he's, and he's the using dark the dark arts. arts on the side of good now to teach people how to beat the bad people because he's all disfigured and he's a mess because he spent the majority of his life just actually getting hit and knocked down and getting back up and never really wanted to conform to the system. Mm-hmm. And yet eventually is like, you know what? I got to, I come in cause I need to help this young boy protect himself in the future uh, because he's going to have to confront the most evil that any of us have seen. And I've seen yeah. all of it. So Alistair Moody is brought in, but then yeah. he's, then there's another convoluted story around it. But the character idea is great because it's it's basically you're taking this character off the front line because they're saying you can't do that anymore. We know that's what you love, but you're going to have to come in and teach this kid how to look after himself. Okay. And then, yeah, so that's the Moody character. And so actually, actually it works quite well because that's basically what my relationship with Moody is at the moment as well. <laughs> <laughs> teach this kid how to do how to build a company very, and look after finances <laughs> very good very good yeah. hey listen can i just can i just because I, I knew that all the time i was saying it it was wrong yeah. right? i just want a, a little bit of clarity over the whole martha gale martha geely i kept saying geary or something martha gellhorn was ernest hemingway's wife right where was and she from america okay can't be more exact than that, because um, I didn't even get a name right, so I wouldn't even venture that. And the general that was after was Major General James Gavin, who was an incredibly oh. young general. Well, I'd have never and guessed he that. Was, he was basically, uh, he was advancing on Berlin, two-timing. He was the um, commanding officer of the 82nd Airborne Division in September 1944, during Market Garden Operation in Holland and all that sort mm. of thing. Um, he was two-timing... Um, Martha Gellhorn, Ernest Hemingway's uh, former wife, and Marlene Dietrich. James Gavin sounds like first, second generation Scottish. Oh, you're claiming Gellhorn. You're claiming Gavin, are you, James Gavin? Yeah, okay. James Gavin. That's okay. a very Scottish name. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting yeah. indeed. Interesting indeed. Yeah. Hey, um, Irish heritage. The final stage of the Giro di Sicilia, David. How was it? Do you want to hear about it? Oh, it's yeah. magnificent. It's uh, absolutely oh, oh, wonderful. No, no, you know what we haven't talked about yesterday? Oh, okay. That the was also good. Because Alejandro... Yeah. Oh, mate. Oh, that was quite funny, actually, because... So, yesterday's stage finished on a... It was the first kind of GC day. It finished on this uphill three and yeah. a half... You predicted. You said you said Alejandro Valverde. Did I? Yeah, in, in the previous podcast. 
Oh, look at me with my knowledge and everything. No, he, he was amazing actually because he it was it, it was no one could beat him. Like it was there was quite a big group of 10, 12 riders who actually made it to the finish and he sprinted from the front. <laughs> and no one no one could get round him. He he went with about 150 meters to go He's and just fan. everyone was pinned. Um, but what happened after that, David? He's won, he won the stage mm. and he, he came across the finish line at some speed. It was slightly uphill, but he was still moving fast. Faster than everyone else. Faster than everyone else. Well, actually, no, he wasn't finishing faster than everyone else. He's fin- finishing at the same speed as everyone else, but no one could go faster, if you see what okay, I mean. Okay, I got it. Okay. Does that so kind I'm, of make sense? That um, makes total sense, yeah. So, um, but, but anyway, it was pretty fast. I'd, I'd, I'd hesitate to guess the amount of kilometers per hour, but it seems of scant importance here. Suffice 42, say, 43, I'm going to say. I don't know. Yeah, maybe slightly uphill at the end of a big climb, yeah. maybe 42 kilometers. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But he comes at 50 meters off the line. He's beginning, he's freewheeling, obviously. He's looking around. I don't mm-hmm. know why he's looking around. And it's a really tight run out area. Mm-hmm. And he, he hits one of those. You've seen it. You know when they run cables 30, across the road? 35 kilometers now, maybe. Yes, I know okay. exactly. What, yep. So, so you know when they run cables across the road, sometimes, and we often fall foul of these on our Bromptons when we're navigating oh, the zone technique. You know those little, those little pyramid cheesy things that they put on the road just mm-hmm. to kind of p- run the yeah. cables through? Those little exactly bumps, those little like mm-hmm. chocks that stop aircraft running. He hit one of those and boom, his front, his front wheel sort of like flipped out and he went straight down really hard and hit his... Uh, fortunately, he hit his right side because it was his left collarbone that had just got pinged at the... Um, you know what I love the, about uh, this? Oh, and, 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 and you know what I love about this? is because it's the end of the season um, and all the pro cyclists are quite tired and everyone's quite mm. tired and the media's quite tired, normally there'd be a rant. Where's the CPA? Where's the yeah, UCI? Yeah. And everyone's just like... Because it was quite, it was quite negligent. <laughs> You're right, like, but I literally like, didn't whatever. see. It. I just saw it appear on social. Oh, Valverde crashed, and all the pro cyclists have already checked out. They're on yeah. holiday, and it's yeah. like, oh, Alejandro crashed. Oh, okay. So even oh, CPA is like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, because it was. It was. I mean, to be fair to the outside broadcast, it was a hastily rearranged finish because they couldn't get the trucks up to the finish line, mm. so they had to reconfigure the whole. Because it was a, a more severe climb than the, I think I mentioned this on the last pod, mm. didn't I? That they couldn't get. Was the that like up. an orm and great? Orm. It was an orm. It was, it was a great orm thing, except mm. much hotter and in Sicily. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it was a really unfortunate incident, and he could have broken his elbow. Um, when we when we then drove away from the climb down onto the valley road, actually it's quite interesting. We just sort of hit the main road and we we're just pulling away to get, to get on a transfer. And we saw the Movistar team bus parked up by the side of the road with all its doors open and two ambulances outside with flashing lights stationary on the side of the road. And as we kind of rolled past quite slow, because the police were saying, slow down, slow down, everyone, as we came past this Movistar team bus, I saw Max <laughs> on, oh, yeah. on the phone. But I kind of... You know, and I didn't thought, because I thought, actually, they've probably got... So I didn't roll the window down and go, all right, Max, thanks for doing the podcast the other day. I thought he's probably got slightly other, you know, just taking the race lead and, you know, Valverde's injured and all that sort of thing. And we drove on. Um, But Max looked quite chilled. And I think what was happening was (laughs) quite simply... Yeah, yeah, even in an emergency. But I think what was happening was that they were waiting for Val... um, They were waiting for Valverde to come down. And then they'd take him off in the ambulances. To but only, but only Max off. could pull that off because Max is so chilled and he's in his element in Sicily that he would, make sure, uh, he would make sure there were ambulances there. He would just calmly pick up his phone, due, see it. Do it. Do it. Ambulance. Do it. Ambulance. And it would be like, and he'd just be there and he's like, come on, guys, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and he would, yeah. that's classic Max. It's like yep. if there aren't, in British terms, we'd be shouting, if there aren't two ambulances here by the time he gets back to the bus, we're off the race. You can't do that. He'll just be doing yeah. it very calmly. Calmly sorting it. He's calmly sorting it because he's like, you know, consequences if you don't do that. Yeah. And he'll just do it all yeah. very kind of zen. Yeah, uh, That's yeah. Max all over. Yeah. Uh, this is the only team, only team in the world that could pull off having two ambulances at the bus waiting. Yeah, they were literally two. Because <laughs> Max, Max has just literally pucks up the phone. Uh, and what was, great, what was great about it, the reason that the yeah. police were saying t- to everyone to slow yeah. down as they passed was that they were... The- <laughs> thinking about it, it's quite funny it's so max the movistar team bus had just kind of pulled up at a rakish angle yeah you know there's no need for it to hey, be guys, half stop. out into the road hey just stop, just stop here stop. just put stop. a brake on it's fine yeah. blocking half the road it's <laughs> yeah. absolutely fine 
but we'll just wait here because Alejandro needs a yeah. X-ray. Anyway, um, he started the, the 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 race today. They were big climb, and then towards the final, um, big climb, ten kilometer climb, quite steep, and then a seventeen kilometer descent. Um, everything kicked off on this on uh, amongst the big favourites. You got your bad day. You got your Froome was in the breakaway today. I was good he? on him. Yeah, he was, he was good on him. He did all right. You know, didn't win, <laughs> but he did all right. Um, and did he, a bunch um, of, did he did he help you identify when it was getting difficult? Oh, I see what you mean—the canary thing. Mm. Well, no, because he was in the well, he was in the break, but even from the breakaway, yeah. So as soon as they hit the climb, the break of seven riders shattered, and he was a little bit. To be honest, he was a bit of a canary. Okay, I'll be honest. Okay, he canaried. He canaried a little bit off the back there, okay. but you know it was a big hit out for him. So, well done. God, he's got David. He's got a two-year contract remaining hasn't he still mm. two more years yeah be interesting um anyway so a bunch of stuff happened breakaway shattered there was a little sort of like subplot that was really quite interesting with the king of the mountains competition and a couple of italian climbers and ben king who failed uh, to take the king of the mountains but ultimately in terms of the gc race failed. everyone knew that in, but, ben king but, failed well bless him you know but uh so then Everyone knew that what you don't want to happen here in Sicily is for the shark, the, the shark, shark out, the shark to attack and get any kind of a advance, you know, oh, gap did he? over oh, the top wait. of this climb. Oh, mate, did he? He attacked with six, seven kilometers to go on the climb, and huh. he he properly went and he left Alessandro Covi, he left Roman Bardet, he left Alejandro Valverde, he left um, David de la Cruz, and all of the rest of the kind of best riders in the race, and they never saw him again. By the time he got to the top of the climb, he had 30 seconds. By the time he finished the race, he had 45, 50 seconds. And, you know, that involved a bit of freewheeling over the line as well. Wow. In Sicily, in his home... Home country, home place, home island. Home everything, in front of friends and family. You know, the first time he's won in Sicily as a pro. um, The first time he's won... That's the, first that short, in Cis- that's the first time he's won in Sicily as a pro. As a, as a pro, as a pro. But these are races, you know, these are roads he knows very well from being a... Because as soon as he became a good junior, he left, went to Tuscany, right? I raced so with him the first time in 2007 in Eneco Tour. And I was go. like, and I was just my first race national champion. And he was the only guy yeah. who could stay with me when I was attacking all Zardens. And I was like, who the hell are you? And, yeah. it was like, and I was like, you're going to be good. And he ended up being yeah. really, really good. And that's he's really, 50, he's really for 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, the podium was so funny at the end, David. It, it, so first, first on GC was, was, was um, Nibbles by almost a minute. Second was Valverde, 41 years of age. And, and, thir- and third, on the third step of the podium was Alessandro Covi, who's a wonderful talent and a real prospect. He was 20 years younger than Valverde. <laughs> And he gave a wonderful interview, Kobe, at the end. He said, it's just an amazing honour to stand on the podium. That's what's with, so mad. Yeah, with, with this, with this yeah. on, you know, uh, uh, on third, on the third step behind Valverde and Nibali. Because hmm. are we going to see that again? Probably not. No. I mean, no. with respect to both of these great champions, it was a, I found it an emotional day. And the fact that it happened on Sicilian soil, this yeah. black volcanic soil, from which he was born, you know, yeah. to use all the, I mean, it is kind of, you know, I know we take the mick out of the shark thing and everything, mm. but it was, and do you know what? He hasn't won since that shortened stage on the Tour de France to Valtons, um or wherever it was huh. uh, um, back in 2019. Final right? day, uh, you know, penultimate the day, day. Yeah, the, the penultimate day. The big, yeah. yeah. So he won from the, but he won from the breakaway, didn't he? As a, as a kind of thing. Held this was, yeah. yeah, this, ba- this, re- I know that the Giro di Sicilia is not a big deal really for him. He's won three grand tours and Lombardia twice in Milan, San Remo, et cetera. But this, I felt just mm. watching him, this one meant a huge amount to him. I wonder if, I wonder if it's as well for him, if that's, yeah, it's, it's really hard to tell with it. Cause he, when you got a Valverde next in the podium, he just keeps doing it. I, nobody strikes me the sort of person that would want to keep racing for most people. You'd be like, one more year with Astana yeah. next year. You'd be like, goes to Astana. you know what? Yeah. I can, I can close the door now, yeah. but actually doesn't need to, loves it. And I think, I think you're right. I think for, for, for a rider like him, the Palmares, I think, oof, this is a, it's a punchy stat. Um, 
but of the modern generation, he was the first to win all three Grand Tours. Um, Contador, no? Contador, oh, he didn't, he didn't win the Tour de France. Oh, well, no, he didn't he win did. the Tour. Well, technically, he didn't yeah. win the Tour de France, did he? Oh, because him so. and Contador, but Nibali did it in a way. Then he won Milan Sanremo, he won Classics. Contador didn't win exactly. Lombardia. Yeah. Nibali's. Froome uh, has never won a one day race. Never won a monument. Never won a monument. Nibali is just, he, he's such a quiet, wonderful bike racer. And yeah, yeah. so I, I, yeah. And I do wonder if that's maybe one of the things with bike racing is the sense that we're getting to that point. It is because it's, it is ultra racing that athletes can go longer. Um, whether, uh, Pitcock could be doing it when he's 40. <laughs> There's no reason why not. Oh, bloody. But because we, we we keep going, well, I won't be commentating on him. That's for sure, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hand no, out the next generation could take over there. Hand yeah, that hand yeah. that one over. But yeah. um, but yeah, and it's and I think they're they're doing something that's never been done in our sport, and I think it's really cool, and I think it's great for a twenty year old to be able to stand on a podium with a 40, 41, 40, 41 year old. A forty-one-year-old and a thirty-six-year-old. So yeah, he's got five years. Cool. It's very yeah, few it's sports that can do that. Because and, yeah. and, and and it was quite a sight to see. I don't know how well they know each other. You know, Alejandro Valverde and Vincenzo Nibali. And by no, I mean you know whether whether they really know each other, whether they've yeah. spent actual time together. Because obviously mm-hmm. they've raced together year after year after year. But they are they're very different riders. They do very different things on a bike, but they are. In a certain, to a certain extent, David, I'm sure you'd agree they're cut from the same cloth. Oh, the same cloth. And I do, I, I do think, I think I, I'd be, I think I'm correct in saying, Valverde only speaks Spanish and Nibali only yep. speaks Italian. Yeah, well, he speaks a bit of broken English, doesn't he? But yeah, I don't think Very. he speaks Spanish. And, yeah, and it's, but it's Italian Spanish I mean, get by a bit. So, but it's but nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that in the slightest. I'm just no, saying no. that it's just they. So they, their language is bike racing. Yeah, and they uh, they both respect each other, and they can they don't need was, to say much to know each other. It was lovely to see the kind of interchange of because the camera, all right, the camera lies and it gives you a fragmented and tiny and distorted image sometimes, and only gives you a fractional kind of him bit of information. But sometimes it can reveal things, and just to see the kind of you're right, Italian and Spanish are, are languages that kind of overlap, and you know Italians can understand. Spanish people and Spanish people can kind of understand Italians and vice versa. But the understanding between them didn't need to be much more than just the interchange of little smiles yeah. and the odd joke as they were uncorking the champagne yeah. bottles for the photographs. And uh, as they've been doing ever yeah. since, in, 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 in um, Valverde's case, 2002, right? But, I mean, but also when Nibali came on the scene, Valverde was already a legend. Yeah. Although that before he became infamous and the the narrative of his career, but in two thousand and seven, when Nibali first came to the scene, when I first raced against him, Valberde was already killing people. Yeah, you know, so it would have been so. The fact that two of them are just standing there now is they know it's over, and yet they're still winning. <laughs> You're like, that's amazing. I got By the so way, much respect for it, Lombardia. <laughs> like i mean honestly t- today was a kind of mini lombardia the stage yeah. was a mini lombardia and um he was unanswerable he was unanswerable and they, they were racing you know two words remco Evanpool. oh well fair enough you know obviously that's it imagine near-death experience last year in lombardia and then yeah, the, a one year is he later, racing it though is he starting is he racing surely it? Why would don't he know. not be racing it? Don't know. Don't know. Who else has Kearney Quickstep got? I don't know. I made a fool of myself today with my Italian colleagues because we were talking just before we came on air. We were talking about Paris Roubaix, and they said to me, "Oh, uh, oh, for you is a favorite." Uh, I, and I wanted to say something interesting and different that would please. Them. <laughs> of course, you did. You know, I didn't want to say what or not or anything like obvious. <laughs> Mathieu van der Poel. And, and also, I wanted to play to the home crowd, so I said Filippo Ganna. And they went, ah, but he's not racing. <laughs> I went, okay. Damn it. Damn. Damn. Oh, man. Why is he not racing? I know, because he'd win, wouldn't he? Oh, it's wet as well. He'd ride faster than them. Yeah, true. It's not a track, is it? It's not a velodrome. 
It's going to be it's, it's going to be a Wout van Aert, Mathieu van der Poel, two up. Smash I loved fest. your last time we spoke. I loved your take on um, you know, wet is good. I thought that was. I wasn't expecting you to say that. You took me by surprise, and I thought um, and you. You, um, it's good. I liked it, and I yeah. think um, it's slightly counterintuitive, but I think I, I agree with you. <laughs> you know, I read afterwards, and yeah. I think it was Thierry Gouverneau, who's um, the the technical director at ASO, and he that's that's the opinion with all pro cyclists who know the race. That's the opinion. Wet is easier. It. Wet doesn't he? Yeah. Wet. Wet's easier. Wet's easier. Yeah, it's wet's a, easier. It's like Remco could rip to pieces a dry. And um, but Governor said his only his only fear is is um because the nature of the course the only dangerous point when it's wet is coming in to Aremberg, yeah because you're coming in at sixty plus kilometers an hour, yeah into into wet cobbles and probably eighty percent of the peloton are pretty useless um in those or unexperienced and I, I'd count myself as one of those mm. and. So you were so inexperienced, you didn't know where the finish line was last time you raced. Drew I've Bay. done that. Yeah, you climbed. You climbed yeah. off half the way round. Didn't realise you had four hundred and twenty meters or whatever it was still to go. Well, I didn't. know. I was just too. I was just delirious. <laughs> yeah. oh, but, you, but I remember. So the reigning. You know, you don't yeah. talk about Paris Roubaix champions, do we? But mm. the reigning. You know, the last winner was Philippe Gilbert. And mm. when I interviewed him, God, it's so long ago since the race happened. But I interviewed him about that race. He said. And I think it's the Arenberg or the Carrefour de Laba. He, he he said he hung, like he was really inexperienced. It was only his second Roubaix. But he had this, he just read it so well. He said, I just hung towards the back of the front group when we hit the big cobbled sectors. And all my teammates were saying to me, you know, Philip, why aren't you at the front? And he goes, let them come to me. <laughs> the, luc- the lucidity. I love that. So that's I loved it. the lucidity of strength. The lucidity mm. of strength allows you to to watch the race unfold mm. because you know you can close the gaps. Brilliant. So it and that's when you know, like someone like Philippe Gilbert, when you when you have the confidence to to be patient mm. and let the race come to you, and also know if the race starts to go away, I'll go after it. Yeah, that's the and that's what the the, the true champions can do. That and Valverde does that, doesn't he? He does, he does that, that he on mountains. Weight. He just waits yeah. and he does something that I, if I was a coach and, uh, or if I was trying to tell young kids what to do, I'd be like, the only thing that matters is the finish line. Yeah. It's That's just true. how do you get to the finish line and, and cross that line first? Because we get carried away and oh, I've got to attack there, got to do that. Well, actually, most of the time, all we have to do is follow. Just follow, 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 follow. And then if you see weakness, attack. But make sure that attack is within distance of the finish line so you can cross it first. So that's where and, it gets quite complicated. That's why it gets quite yeah, And that's where the tactics come in. That's where yeah, it's nuts. And that's when you pull yeah. up, find the other people that, that look weaker than you to take with you. And it's, it's it's really fascinating. But it gets lost in the modern day and age because you always, uh, go, we've got to attack there. We've got to do this. We've got to get that. We've got to go with those teams. But actually the best races, you just see them hovering, mm. just ghosting around, just watching mm. everyone get insecure hence why Nibali and Valverde still end up first and second Mm. because they they know how to cross the finish line first Mm. and it's uh that's bike racing yeah and a a rider who's done that you know more often even than Nibali and Valverde is Mariana Vos and the, uh, the beautiful image that her team released of her a couple of days ago they, you know, they'd invited her into the Paris-Roubaix showers. You know, it's a seismic yeah. moment for women's racing yeah. that she get this great champion gets to walk in. You know, you and I, you and I have been there. Yeah. You know, there's nothing to say that. But so to, to 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 walk in these, you know, this kind of it's one of the cycling because it plays out in the open road doesn't have bricks and mortar, you know, to celebrate. But that's one of the very few stadia. places where you go where you go. This is this is our kind of this is our cemetery is the wrong word, obviously, but this is our kind of, this is our stone memorial to mm. our sport. Yeah. And it was wonderful to see Mariana just walking up and down there, l- looking at the names yeah. and there will be a brass plaque that will be added this year in 2021 for mm. the first, the first, how historic is that? The first woman to win Paris-Roubaix. I mean, it's absolutely mm. incredible. And I don't, 
I don't know whether, she, I mean, who knows, but I don't know whether she would be one of the big favourites, Mariana Vos. You certainly wouldn't, wouldn't have her in a group in the well, velodrome. She, of no, no, sprints, but it's but also, she's mountain bike world champion, she's cyclocross world champion. Uh, she's bike handling everything. won't be a problem, will it? No, um, she's got a huge advantage. If I, I mean, I, if I definitely put her down as being my favourite because I, her no, skill set. I'm not so sure, I'm not so sure, I'm not so sure. Yeah, but you can I go for Van Vluten, you can go for pure strength. But no, if can... Ellen Van Dyke, that's the slightly more... I mean, it's a total unknown, isn't it, in the women's peloton. We just don't know how, how they handle themselves mm. on the cobbles. But I think Ellen Van Dyke would be my favourite. I'm going hey, Marion Voss. All right, well, fair enough. It's <laughs> all right, I'm not going to fight you over that. Um, no, I think it'd be, it'd be brilliant if her name... It'd just be yeah. brilliant if her name was kind yeah. of like engraved on those yeah. brass plaques. You know. God, Imagine that. so good. Yeah. yeah. Very good. So, um, that's uh, that's that. So, um, yeah. bye bye from Italy, David. Yeah, that was good times. Well yeah, done, don't Ned. I don't, yeah, Surviving I Sicilia. I hope you make it through the night. Yeah, I'm going to go and have dinner eventually. I'm going to edit this first, and then I'm going to have some pasta. Nice. Um, Say hello to Matt with at 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 real Stevens. As he at real Stevens. I actually, I refer to him basically as at real Stevens most of the time. Would have come up with a better nickname for Matt. So maybe it's just um, reels. Reels. <laughs> What's reels, reels up to? And reels. Yeah. reels. Reels and reels. Reels is, reels is waiting for me to edit this podcast, yeah. so I better go and do that. Okay. Um, all right. All right. Speak to you soon. See you later. See you now. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 